0: Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to John chapter 12 and make sure you can just kind of have a placeholder in John 11. We're continuing in this series uh, called Jesus Revealed. And the reason that we've been talking about a fresh revelation of Jesus is because this is, for most of the Christian world, a season called Lent. And Lent is an old English word that is derived from the word length. It means as the days grow longer. And so it is normally in the northern hemisphere, the time that we remember the work that Jesus did in the cross. And for 40 days, the season of Lent is a time where the church asks for a fresh revelation of Christ. Now, it's normally celebrated in, uh, by our Catholic brothers and sisters, and there's a, all of these kind of religious overtones to it. But how many of you know that as proud Pentecostals and Charismatics and those who are Spirit-filled, we are, we are unashamedly Pentecostal and, and Charismatic. But sometimes what we do is we tend to reject all of the tradition, and we're like, no, we got a new thing going on. But how many of you know that the roots... Of much of the tradition, we're very good. And I want to say to you the roots of spending 40 days of saying, God, I want a fresh revelation of Jesus. I want to live in special uh, spiritual vitality because of a fresh revelation of Christ. Listen to me, church. Um, You don't know Jesus fully just because you got born again. I mean, there is so much to know, so much to grasp. Now, if you know him as Savior, boy, the door is open, and he's going to begin to walk with you and give you revelation time and time again of who he is and his heart toward us. And so that's why we have been saying, God, in this hour where you're awakening us and we we have this new sense of spiritual vitality, which, by the way, is meant to touch every practical area of your life. This isn't just for a spiritual. Renewal. It is a spiritual and a practical renewal. It will touch the practical areas of your life. Now, today is Palm Sunday, and I want to speak to you a message called a parade of praise. Jesus revealed a parade of praise. Now, uh, this is celebrated by the 2.3 million people, a billion people around the world who call themselves Christians this Palm Sunday. But I would also like to express that while we are celebrating these truths, that means that there's about 6 billion people on this planet who have not experienced the truths that we're going to talk about today. Many people who have never had a real personal revelation of Jesus. And that's what we're believing God is doing here in Citrus County, what he is doing in our church and what he's doing in all of our lives. So John chapter 12, we're going to look at this great moment of triumph called Palm Sunday and this, this, this wonderful parade that took place that day. John 12, 12 says this. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palms, palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Then Jesus, who had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about, uh, written about him, and then that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people—listen to these words carefully. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. Therefore, the Pharisees said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Here we are in this moment in the ministry of Jesus. It is a triumphant processional. It's a parade. Now, uh, if you've been around Citrus County very long, you know that our little county has more parades than any other place on earth. You could be trying to drive somewhere in Inverness on any given Saturday, and you are likely to be detoured and rerouted, and you're like, what in the world are we parading about this week? Turns out that just a few years ago, Inverness was actually voted the most patriotic city in the United States. Now, that's awesome. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It uh, has to do with the memorials, how we honor fallen soldiers, how we honor military, how we you know, hang flags. And it also has to do with the number of, one, uh, the number of parades, which I'm like, oh yeah, we beat everybody. Everyone, try to go somewhere near Christmas time. You're trying to get across town to go, to go. You know, go shopping or, you know, go find something for somebody. You're likely to be stopped by these little joggers that have bells on them and they're running downtown. And then there's a Christmas parade. Not only is there a Christmas parade in Inverness because it's not good enough to just have one parade, then we got to have another parade across town in Crystal River. And then a few days later, we're going to have another one right across town in Denellan. And there may end up being one in in, uh, Citrus Springs as well. So we're going to have a lot of parades. So we happen to be a people familiar with parades. And for us, a lot of our motivation could be patriotic, could be seasonal. This parade, you need to understand the backdrop of this parade. This parade that was given for Christ. First, there was a feast. It's the feast of Passover. The Jews are coming to celebrate as they were commanded to do. But that's not the only motivation for this parade. You see, the backdrop for this parade was Jesus had just called a man out of a tomb who had been laying there four days. He rolled a stone away and said, Lazarus, come forth. And this man was raised from the dead. And we find that it was because of this great sign and great revelation of who Jesus was that that it sets the backdrop of this glorious day that we're celebrating today. Matter of fact, if you go and you look at John 11 you find out the revelation that came to the crowd. It was uttered by Martha, the sister of Lazarus. She says, it says, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And it was that revelation that was the backdrop of the parade. It was that revelation that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that caused a great stir. He then goes and calls out Lazarus from the grave. The resurrection of Lazarus sets the stage for a parade of praise. And I believe this is a prophetic picture of where we are right now. I believe that God has been standing over the graves of sinners. That in this last hour Jesus is coming in visitation to the tombs that we've been locked in. The tombs of sin and idolatry and the tombs of of wickedness and the tombs of perhaps it's religious but it's it's not righteous. And he's standing over those tombs and I hear the clarion call of Christ calling people by name. And I see people who were once dead in trespasses and sins, they are walking out of their graves. Why? Because God is about to release a triumphant parade in our cities again. There is about to be a movement of God in this nation in a major way. This is the moment that we're in. And you may today be hearing the call of God. And he's not just saying, hey, I want everyone. He's saying, I want you. He's calling you by name. And there will be a power that comes when you just simply receive his call. Now, this, this event, it revealed Jesus to Jerusalem. But it should also reveal Jesus to us and how we are to respond. You see, this, this triumphant parade, this triumphal entry as it's called, it actually teaches us as a people, what we should do when we have a revelation of Christ. This should be our response. Well, how should we respond? Well, if you look at this this same passage from Matthew chapter 21, verse 8, it says this, and then a very great multitude, what did they do? They spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I'm going to give you some very simple things that we should do as a revelation of Jesus this holy week, this time where we are remembering the full work of Christ. First thing we got to do is we got to lay down our garments. We read this and we're like, why would they get their clothes dirty at a parade? Why would they do this? Why are they laying down their garments? This makes no sense to us. We don't relate to this, but there was another time within scriptures where people took off their garments. It was a dark hour in Israel. Israel had a compromised king named Ahab, and he had a demonic wife named Jezebel. And there there they were, and they were ruling, and Elijah comes with fire from heaven, and and he cleans up the idolatry, but with one word, she puts fear into the heart of Elijah, and he runs back to the cave of God, has an encounter with God, and says, God says, Elijah, I'm not done with you. I want you to raise up Elisha and elisha is going to anoint a man named jehu and jehu is going to become a king and he will be the one that throws down ahab which is a symbol of compromise and jezebel which is which is symbolic of demonic witchcraft and so jehu is just a commander he's an army guy he's a fighter But Elisha sends his servant and says, I'm coming to, I'm giving you this word. God is making you king of Israel. He's making you king. He's anointing you for this moment. Why? Because I'm dealing with Ahab. And Jezebel, by the way, what you need to know about Jezebel, Jezebel wasn't just a queen from antiquity. It is a spirit that is actually at work today. It shows up again uh, in the time of Christ, and it also shows up again in the book of Revelation in the last hour. So Jezebel is at work. And what we have to understand is, is how you get victory over this spirit that seeks to control, that seeks to manipulate, and it includes sexual immorality. How do you get victory? Well, it's, it's in the picture of the calling of Jehu. He's around with all of these commanders, and this man comes in with oil. And he calls him in, into a secret place, a private room. And he dumps oil on him, and he says this, God has anointed you king. And then that man runs out. He just runs. It's a fabulous passage. Then the other commanders, seeing what has happened to Jehu, he's got oil all over him, and he's now fragrant. And they say, tell us what he said. And Jehu says, I've been anointed king. All of the commanders, all of the generals did something very profound in that moment. All of the educated, all of the influencers of that region, they did something very profound when one had been anointed to bring victory. Here's what they did. It says, 2 Kings 9, 13, Then in haste, Every man took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew a trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Jehu is king. I love this picture. They take take their mantles. You know what a mantle is? A mantle is the gifting. A mantle is your education. A mantle is your wealth. A mantle represents everything God has graced you with in your life. And these men, when they saw that God was raising up a deliverer, they took it and they threw it under the steps that he was to ascend on. And they said, we are giving the strength of our life to see you fulfill your calling in God. So, when God begins to anoint his son, Jesus, what do the people do? They say, We're taking off our garments. We're taking off all of our accomplishments. We're taking off our identity. We're taking everything that we've been gifted and we're laying it before you. And what they were saying in Jerusalem that day is, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. They said, my mantle is to bless your mantle. And I wonder if the church wouldn't start stripping themselves of the things that, that, that God has graced you with. If you said, no, God, I am not trying to make my own reputation. God, I use my giftings. I use my resources. I use my talents. I use my intellect for your glory. I'm laying it down. And I say, God, in this city, come in. God and my family, come in. God on my job, come in. Take your mantle off. Lay down your clothes, saying, Lord, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm not going to withhold anything. The second thing that they did that day, was was very profound, and again, this is something that we should do in response to who Jesus is, is that they, they actually waved and laid down Palm branches, and this is what we should do, lay, and, and, and lay down our, our palm branches. Now, um, again, we're Floridians, we get palm branches. If you're new to Florida, welcome. You're used to different kinds of trees, less bugs, less snakes, less spiders, but one thing we have here, we have a load of Palms. We have a lot of palms, and one thing that all the region around the Mediterranean had was palms. So in every culture, every culture, Roman culture, the the Jewish culture, and also the Egyptian culture, all had this one idea connected to the palm branch, and it was this it symbolized victory when someone cut down a palm branch and there was a parade they would wave these palm branches let's just say that the 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 romans were 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 coming in and they were conquering a people here's what they would do they would throw a parade and the and they would they would the the citizens would take palm branches and they would wave them And then behind the king, the conquering leader in processional would be all of the surrendered foes. So the train behind them, as the people are waving these symbols of victory, are all the defeated foes. I tell you, you ought to start getting excited about right now because you ought to, you ought to start to recognize that Jesus is our victory and that the train is every defeated foe. Matter of fact, Isaiah caught a glimpse of Jesus in Isaiah chapter six and he says, behold, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and His the train of his robe filled the temple. The train was all the defeated foes. He says there was room for nothing else. He had defeated every foe. And that's why the people, the Jewish people, were waving palm branches because they were saying, he is our victory. He's our victory. It's a sign of victory. And what God is saying to us is live as a display of the victory that is in Christ. That our lives should be given to say, there is victory in Jesus. There is victory. You say, I'm talking to somebody addicted. There is victory. I'm talking to somebody tormented. There is victory. They they, they may be demon-possessed. There is victory. Oh, they're into witchcraft. There is victory. I'm telling you, there is victory in Christ. Every foe defeated. And we as the church need to say, oh, it's not just Palm Sunday. It's Palm every day. I love the old country preacher, little country preacher I used to talk to, he'd look me in the eye and say, Pastor, do you have the victory? You just kind of say it that way. Do you have the victory? And I'm like, well, yes, I do. Because Romans 8, 37 says, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me. I am more than a conqueror. By the way, the next verse says why. Because I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I will live victorious, waving that palm branch and throwing it down, saying, There is victory in Christ! There's victory over sin! There's victory over addiction! There's victory over anxiety and worry and doubt! There is victory! There is victory! There is victory! victory." Now listen, it gets a little better. In Jewish culture, God instructs his people to use the palm branches. In Leviticus 23, 40, it says, "...and you shall take for yourselves on the first day of the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of the palm trees, and the boughs of leafy trees, and the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days." God says, "Hey, my people, write this into your schedule. Nothing that nothing but seven solid days of rejoicing." How many of you could use that kind of vacation? <laughs> and God's writing it into the script. He says, he says, "I'm giving you seven days where you do nothing. But get these palm branches, and in this this moment, weave them together with other things. You weave the victory with these other symbolic trees, by the way. That's a different lesson. You weave in the victory, and what do you do? You rejoice. Now, I'm not sure. I, I know some of you have heard that church word. I'm not sure all of us know what it means. The word rejoice means this. To be glad for grace. To be glad for undeserved grace. That's what rejoice means. To be glad for the undeserved favor of God. And what you do is you take a solid week because of the victory that is in Christ, because of the victory that God has won for us, what do they do? For a solid week, they are going, I am so glad for grace. I'm so glad for grace. So when we're going to the world saying there's victory in Jesus, there is no such thing as patting yourself on the back. It is saying, I'm waving this palm branch, and I, Lord, I want to see you coming to this city. Why? Because I am glad that I got God, what I did not deserve. That's the heart behind this triumphal procession. And it's not just for the time that Christ was walking the earth or just our time. If you look at Revelation 7, you see in the last of the last days what is happening around the throne of God. Revelation 7, 9 says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. All the nations, tribe, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed with white robes and with what? Palm branches in their hands. Crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice. He says, they have clothing and palm branches. Clothing and palm branches. They are clothed with white robes. Did you know that you have some clothing in Christ? Did you know that? I'm not talking about your armor. I'm talking about your clothing. So, you, if you don't know, you may not even understand what you're supposed to lay down as a mantle. What you're supposed to be looking like while you're waving this palm branch. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has what clothed me with garments of salvation and has covered me with a robe of righteousness. I tell you what, if you begin to understand what Jesus put on you when you got born again, suddenly you will begin to wave the palm branch of victory. When you know he comes to you by grace and he says, I'll take that sin. I'll take that brokenness. I'm paying that price and I am putting on you a garment of salvation. And then he goes beyond that. And then he says, and now I'm gonna give you a robe of righteousness. So this is what it looks like. So what are we laying down before the Lord in this triumphal procession? In the way that we live today, we are we are casting down the 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 garment of salvation. So we are saying, Jesus. I'm only wearing this because of you and this robe of righteousness. I only have right standing with God because of what you have clothed me with. You gave me your righteousness when I placed faith in you. So I'm laying that down and now I can wave the victory. And for everybody who has been in this religious cycle, striving and trying to, you know, well, if I think if I do more good than bad, I'll get to heaven. I'm telling you, I got bad news for you if that's your opinion. Bad news, you don't make it to heaven because you're good. If you think that's the plan, that's a terrible plan. Terrible plan. Here's the best plan. It was God's plan all along that we would all realize that we could never earn heaven, but we could receive the free gift of salvation. We could receive this garment of salvation where I'm washed and I'm clean. And I'm not just a boy or a girl. I go from being a, a man or a woman. I go to being a son and a daughter. He gives me this this garment of salvation and this robe of righteousness. It doesn't have to do with my performance. It has to do with what he gave me as an inheritance. And he clothes me with it. And if you realize what you're wearing, you'll wave the palm branch of victory. Say, oh, I'm living in victory. And I'll lay it down before him saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then I want to give you this last little element today about how we respond when we gain this revelation of Christ. And this this particular point, when you say it, I crafted it to sound weird. Weird. Because you'll remember it that way. I could have said it in a way that you would forget. I'm going to say this in a way that you'll remember it. Because this should be our response to this revelation of Christ coming in. As you begin to pray his praise. You begin to pray his praise. You see, in Matthew 21 it says, And then the multitudes who went before him and those who followed cried out, there was this cry that was going out, and when you're crying out, that is symbolic of prayer, it is a pronouncement. It is speaking to God. But what we find in the pronouncement is everything that he is deserving of. Everything that is praiseworthy about him. And there is great revelation. And I want to give you this on your holy week. Here's your prayer assignment. Here's your life assignment. As we are endeavoring to reach more and more people with the good news of Christ, I want you to begin to pray what they were proclaiming on this this Palm Sunday. Here's the first thing that they were proclaiming, Hosanna. Hosanna. Not just a song from the 70s. Hosanna. Here's what it means. When they shouted out, Hosanna, it meant this. Please save us. Matter of fact, the tense of this language, it's now. It's not like somewhere in the future. It means now. Please save us now. So here's this cry going out in the streets of Jerusalem. Hosanna! Hosanna! Please save us now! And I want to say to you, if you here don't know the saving work of God today, I want to put a prayer on your lips. It is this simple prayer. Hosanna! Please save now. Matthew 21, 9, it says, They said the statement, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It means please save now. And look at Isaiah 25, 9. It says, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now, Sometimes in church, we get locked into one idea when it comes to salvation. We think that's only about heaven. That's not only about heaven. Yes, it's about eternal life. And by the way, that is the goal, that we would forever be with our God, that we would forever be in his presence, experiencing the glory of his person. Yes, that is the the divine reward But the word salvation is sozo. It means rescue right now. It means deliverance right now. It means transformation right now. You have to understand and begin to embrace that there is still a Savior who breaks chains, who opens prison doors, who opens the eyes of the blind, who still causes the lame to leap like a deer. He is alive and he is moving. And when we cry out, Hosanna, We are saying, yes, I believe for my eternal place in heaven with you, but I also believe for your saving hand and your power to manifest right now. Right now. Here's why. Because some of our marriages need him right now. Our region needs him right now. The addicted needs him right now. The broken needs him right now. And we'll, while we are, we are longing for God to come into our cities in a powerful way, we must first begin to pray this praiseworthy title, Hosanna. Please save us. Isn't it awesome to think that when you say the word Hosanna, it automatically indicates That you believe that he will and can. That he is the Savior. The next thing they cried out, they said, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Which which says this, you are the Savior. Another way of saying this is you are the promised one. You're the promised one, the only one, the Messiah, the anointed one. You're the one, the Lamb of God who comes. Now, I'm going to break all, all, all of the uh, religious laws and quote a Christmas-only verse right now. Because you need to understand that when we we hear the word Son of David, they, they, they don't... They don't wear on our hearts. They don't weigh on our hearts the way they would a Jewish audience. And yet Isaiah, some 700 years before Christ, would describe Jesus in this way in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And perhaps jingle bells will go off in your head when you hear this. But It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon, here it is, the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. When they said, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were saying, You are wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting one, the Prince of Peace, the promised one come, anointed to save. You're the Savior. And then they say this, blessed. We don't use this language anymore. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed. This word means favor. Favored. To be envied one of the first definitions of this word blessed is happy but here it means blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord it is the you are the only one favored by god to bring us into god's plan when they say blessed is he who comes in the lord you're the only one favored by the lord to do what needs to be done. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David says some powerful words. He says, "says David blessed the Lord, how did he do it? Before all the assembly, and said, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power The glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. I tell you, when you say, when you begin to pray his praise this way, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you're saying, oh God, you are great. Oh God, you are powerful. Oh God, I see your majesty. Lord, it is in your hand, all power, all might, all healing, all deliverance, everything in the earth, over the earth, under the earth, all is yours. Blessed, you're the only one favored to make great. The only one favored to make great. I would like to submit to you today one of the greatest, if not the greatest work God has ever created is the new creation in those who have said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those who have been made new in Christ, God says, that is great. When When he created man, he said, it's good. When you get born again, according to this verse, he says, that's great. That's great. Why? Because We had fallen away from God in sin, but God in his own love sent his son to intercede on our behalf, hung, suspended between heaven and earth on the cross, bleeding, naked, suffering there, suffocating, and doing all of that because God loves us to pay the price to wash us and cleanse us. And to bring us back into the family of God. You see, that is what makes, listen to me, a nation great. That's what makes a people great, that they have been redeemed by recognizing who Jesus is and saying, listen, Hosanna, come save us now. Son of David, the promised one, the one the whole world has been looking for. Blessed is he. You're the only one favored and anointed with all power and victory in your hand to bring fallen mankind back into right relationship with God. You're the only one, Jesus. Jesus, my prayer is, is as we're entering into this holy week, as we approach the, the sobriety of the Last Supper, that night spent in the upper room, having that pen. That, that Passover meal together. As we approach the betrayal of Christ. As we approach the suffering of Christ. As we uh, uh, approach the people crying out for a murderous Barabbas instead of a perfect Savior. As we approach the, the, the dark day where the sun went black and the earth quaked under the weight of the perfect sacrifice of the Son of God. On that week, on, on that week, as we approach those holy moments, my prayer is that we as the church would once again pray his praise. That we would what? Lay down the garments. Lay down our mantles and say, listen, it's time that we throw a parade that's worth throwing. It's time that we take off our lives, that we would take off our giftings, that we would take off our dreams and lay them down at the feet of Jesus and say, all for your cause, all for your kingdom, all for your glory, that we would begin before this, this company of people in, in this county begin to wave the palm branch of victory, saying, listen, I am living in victory, not because of a work that I worked, but because I put push, I push Put faith in the perfect work of Christ, and we lay it down, and then there we begin to release a sound: Hosanna. Don't just move my neighbor that gets on my nerve out of my neighborhood, move them into my kingdom. Hosanna. Hosanna. To the son of David, the promised one has come and he's available and he's blessed, he's favored, he's full of power and might. And if you will receive by faith the work that he did, I'm telling you, he will come into your life and you will feel like Lazarus. Who was, who was this the one that caused the genesis of this parade. You will feel as God himself has called you from the grave that you have been existing in. He calls you out of darkness. He calls you out of that bondage. He calls you out of sin. And he will give you new life. He will show up. And people will be looking at you like they were looking at Lazarus. They're just staring at you, can't even believe that four days ago, the stench of death was all over you, but now you're around here smiling like nothing bad ever happened to you. Oh, yeah, something bad happened, but something good happened after that. You see, the triumphal entry, this prophetic parade of praise, isn't something that's just meant to be lived one day. This is how we're to live our lives. And we, church, have an opportunity that this week, when most of the world is thinking about Christ, maybe like never before, what if our community saw us lay down our garments? What if our community saw us waving the palm branch and saying, hey, there really is victory in Christ? And we said, hey, why don't you come? And find the one that we cry out to, Hosanna. The one that we know to be the the chosen one sent from God. Why don't you take this week and say, God, why don't I invite somebody in to this parade? So that they can experience the new life that is in Christ. I pray that this holy week you'd begin to say, no, I, I want my life become a parade of praise so that this city, this region begins to say, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.